Welcome back to Trino Community Broadcast, episode 53. Cole is joining us since he's back from his trip to, where did you just go, Cole? I was in the Bay Area for the first time in a little while in Redwood City, giving a talk about Trino on Ice in partnership with Slalom. So that was a fun talk. Awesome, cool. And here you also met some other people from the community. Yeah, we met a couple people who are going to be giving talks at Trino Summit in just a couple months, as well as former speakers from Trino Summit. So it was a good opportunity to catch up in person. Uh, Trino meetups are a pretty fun time, and uh, I'm looking forward to potentially doing more of those down the line. Yeah, here you're going to go at the end of November somewhere big. Oh, yeah. So that's reInvent. Yeah, uh, so there'll be people in our audience going to be there. So if if you have a chance to go to reInvent, try to hunt Cole down in the audience, I guess. He's going to be there with Starburst. And what are you going to do? Yeah, I'm going to be running around with a camera, asking people questions, trying to generate some Trino content. So if you want to be featured on the Trino YouTube channel, find me at reInvent walking around with the camera stabilizer and uh, say hi, and we'll see if we can get you involved in that because... We want to spread the word about Trino, and we think that content's a great way to do it. So that's going to be my goal while there, and I'm really looking forward to doing that because it sounds like fun. Awesome. Well, today we're going to talk about Cogenity and Trino, another great tool that discovered the advantages of Trino and joined our community. So we're going to be joined by Matthew Mullins and Roman Nesterov. Nestorov, I hope I said that right now. Uh, sorry for butchering your name in case, but before we do that, we have releases to talk about again, Cole. What happened in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, so the Trino release train continues rolling. Um, support for SQL routines is the first bullet point we have on the screen right now, and that's a huge deal, Manfred. I think you're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a bit, but yes, this is kind of our answer to UDFs uh, in the ANSI SQL spec. SQL routines are a kind of easier, better way to go about implementing what UDFs are trying to achieve, and we're really excited about that feature. Um, some smaller things that have been going on that aren't quite as groundbreaking as SQL routines. Uh, we added support for replace in CreateTable, uh, improve latency for prepared statements on JDBC connectors, uh, and 432, faster filtering on columns that contain long strings, uh, predicate pushdown for some numerical columns in MongoDB, um, support for the Iceberg REST catalog in the register and unregistered table procedures, uh, support for bearer authentication for the Nessie catalog. Um, so using Nessie is now easier and you can authenticate in certain different ways. Uh, and then in 433, uh, we improve support for Hive Schema evolution. So there's more types that you can change columns to and from without breaking things uh, and support for altering table comments in the glue catalog. Um, table comment and com comment support is pretty much 100% rolled out at this point, or like 99% rolled out. So comments should just be functional no matter what connector you're using. You should be able to create them, drop them, edit them without any problems whatsoever, which is nice for maintaining good, clean tables that everyone understands. Yeah, it's sort of like a built-in built in documentation, right? Like you can go describe the table and you see the comments and you're like, Oh, that's what that random table name is actually for. <laughs> like, yeah, not everyone has the luxury of giving tables good names. <laughs> yeah, when you when you have the same table and there's like an underscore two, underscore three, and underscore four version of it, we can tell you why why those exist with uh, comments. Um, and then four thirty three also included uh, documentation for the create and drop catalogs. Um, so. Is that dynamic catalogs, Manfred? When's that happening? That is dynamic catalogs, and it is working. And I actually demoed it with David yesterday, and it's so cool. Um, of course, it also has a lot of wrinkles around it, like you know, like um, some memory issues potentially. If you add and drop thousands of catalogs, whoever would do that is a different question. But <laughs> um, but specifically, also um, in terms of like making it happen, it needs access to the file system if you write them as files, and that is not necessarily the case, right? So depending on how you play with this, um, we'll have more work to do to lift it out of being a, what we call at this stage, an experimental feature. But it is really, really awesome and works really nicely to play around with at least. So when you get started and need to figure out your catalogs, that's a way to go. And I'm yeah, going to get a blog post ready about that uh, demo later today so you can see the video it's already on youtube as well by the way yeah and i'd say the the caveat right is that it's 
this is one of the big things that is causing us to need or causing users to need to restart Trino is that if you want to create or drop catalogs at any point, Trino has to go down for maintenance. Um, but right now you're still going to need to restart it every once in a while, just not for like a slow maintenance. It'll just need to be reset so that this, if you're running it for weeks at a time, then it may cause problems if you continue to add and drop catalogs. So yeah, but which hopefully is it's just good business in general. So exactly. Yeah, no, it was was a good demo. And, uh, you know, last yesterday with David, of course, we uh, had too much material again. So we didn't end up talking about Hive views and Trina views and materialized views and all that stuff. So we'll have to do that another day. Um, let's go back to Trino, the SQL routine competition I wanted to just share. For those of you that are like to code and like hack around and come up with cool ideas, we have an awesome competition going at the moment. You can share your best SQL routine with the new feature, you can fire up Trino 433 at this stage and write your routines, the documentation is included, and we'll show some of the best routines, hopefully get them into the documentation. And Starburst is sponsoring a little cool reward for, for the best entries, so that should be really cool. And we'll announce them at Trino Summit, which, by the way, can you believe it, Cole? It's only a month away. Yeah, it's soon. It's it's less than a month away at this point. I think we're looking at like 29 days or something like that. So Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 you're working on announcing the lineup, I heard. Yeah, I think that's going to be going live today or tomorrow is is we're sending out an email and broadcasting most of the talks that have been accepted for Trino Summit. So look yeah. forward to that. We've got what has been described by some as the best Trino Summit lineup in over five years. So it should be really, really awesome. And uh, I'd encourage everyone to tune in. We'll talk a little bit more about it at the end of this episode. Excellent. Cool. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. And of course, as you all know, it's a free virtual event, so you should all register if you haven't already. Um, what you also should be doing is you should test Java 21 because Trino is moving to Java 21. We are up to date with the latest LTS. It just came out in September. And the latest Docker container is actually using Java 21 internally. So if you had no issues with them, guess what? We want to know about that because it tells us that we can probably soon make it a requirement for the tarball and the RPM and all the other deployments. And that in turn would allow us to implement a whole lot of cleanup in the code base with new libraries, new language features, and just generally improving Trino even more again, which would be great. One thing is also like I'm, uh, I heard that uh, one of our users are already testing with some of the new garbage collectors uh, from from Java 21, and that's always an interesting testing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like a little, you're a little hesitant, right? Because it's such a big deal. But it's ultimately, we've found every time we upgrade Java versions in Trino, it tends to come with a lot of basically free performance improvements, whether things run faster or garbage is collected sooner or things get patched up that just make it run with fewer snags it's it's super nice and then on the engineering side of things the new language development and features mean that the engineers working on trino get to go faster and implement things in better ways um, which leads to more improvements down the line so it's always a big deal and an exciting time when we get to upgrade from one java version to another and uh it should make trino better than ever before part of being in the java ecosystem means when java updates so do you if you can, my, my son is at university and he's like still on some older Java version. I'm like, you got to tell your professor to upgrade. <laughs> yeah, it's Java 8 is still kicking it in a lot of places. So yeah, no, let's let's kick that off the curve. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And with that, we're switching gears to. So it involves the JDBC driver. And I think Matthew and Roman are joining us to talk about. Oops, the wrong screen. To talk about the JDBC driver because they're using it and then most importantly about their cool tool, Coginity. Uh, but before we go there, uh, Matthew and Roman, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Matthew Mullins. I'm the CTO for Coginity. Hello, my name is Roman Nestersov and I'm principal engineer at Coginity. Awesome. Uh, and Coginity is a we're a data enterprise grade data workspace. So we are um, a, a last mile solution, and uh, we're focused on um, being able to connect to your data anywhere, 
and uh, be able to build uh, reusable analytic components is a big part of what we do. Okay, so let me guess. We talked about this before, you and me. Um, Cookinity uses the JDBC driver, which means in order to connect to Trino, it uses the JDBC driver, and then Trino it in turn runs the queries, gets the results from the data sources, and sends the results set back via the JDBC driver to your application. That's correct. So the question is, what language does your application use? What language does our application use? Yeah, what's Cookinity written in? Oh, Java. All right, that's cool. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, we're we're one of those. Uh, two, we're not a Python shop, so we like uh, type safety, and we've been uh, Java for a long time. Awesome, that's cool. Well, um, what do you want to tell us about Cookinity? I mean, I definitely um, want to get a demo from Roman later, but tell us a bit more about how Cookinity found its way into the Trino ecosystem. What Cookinity sure. does and stuff sure. like that. Um, so we we have. Um, we're a three-year-old startup, and um, we started off to solve a problem around, um, you know, as we look at the way analysts work in a lot of organizations, especially large organizations, um, they do a lot of work. They start over from scratch every time. SQL famously doesn't have any kind of package manager. There's no libraries for SQL. Um, and so it's kind of a very inefficient way to work. And so we started off thinking about, um, you know, how is it that, we can make SQL reusable, right? How can we mm -hmm. um, componentize SQL um, so that we can bring, you know, more software engineering best practices into that world? Um, and, you know, along with that comes this, this element of being able to collaborate, right? Once I build a library, um, I want to be able to share it with others. I want other people to be able to take advantage of that. And so um, we spent a lot of time doing discovery work. We would go into organizations and say, you know, how do you share um, you know, when you talk to analysts, how do you share SQL code today? Crazy answers, right? <laughs> we, we, share we share it in Excel files, right? We have an Excel file that has a, a row for every SQL query that we want to share. Or oh, wow. Crazy. Uh, they, they post it to Slack. You know, at the very advanced organizations, they maybe had like a shared drive um, where they were sharing. And so we built a, an analytics catalog um, into our platform that allows um users to, sh to share code with each other um all of that's versioned. you get the metadata around who created it when was it last updated we can see when it was last run you can i mean if you're a software developer you're very familiar with these concepts but for people that are analysts um, a lot of times these concepts are very new um, so we built that directly into the platform and when we started out um we had this 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 thesis that um we didn't want to own any compute, right? So we actually, our first, our first product principle, we have six product principles. Our first product principle is leverage the client's compute. Um, so we want to be able to use that, um, that existing compute wherever we go. Um, mm -hmm. And this is because we, we'd had a previous experience where we built a product that um, uh, required Spark. You know, so we could, could write all of our code once for Spark. And we ran into this problem of, you know, customers are paying for duplicate compute and things like that. Um, so we said from the outset, we weren't gonna have any compute in our platform. And we we deal a lot with large enterprise customers um, and um, especially large enterprise customers in like regulated industries. So we do, cause we will deploy anywhere. So um, we do a lot of banks and insurance and healthcare and things like that. Um, and, you know, contrary to like every pristine um, deployment model that you've seen on the web. You've seen all these like uh, these modern data stack architectures and there's always this data warehouse right in the middle. We've never seen a customer that has just a data warehouse, right? They always have, you know, between three and 32 data warehouses. <laughs> so you're saying the world is messy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, the real world of data is super messy. And so, you know, we want to be able to connect to data anywhere. So we can connect to uh, both the data warehouse or our database, we can connect to um, data on object store. But when you get into these big messy places, one of the questions that comes up a lot is, you know, can you blend data? Uh, can you federate queries between uh, my Teradata platform and, you know, my new Databricks platform? And we don't have an execution engine as part of our, our product principles. Um, I think I have these. 
think Apple put was that a, was that a gestures <laughs> that happened there? <laughs> I thought these were turned off. I think they're the Apple reactions. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll celebrate that we don't have compute in our own platform. So yeah, it's all good. <laughs> those fireworks were for Trino. So we needed a solution um, that we could recommend to customers. So when they have this problem needing to be able to federate, um, that um, we can say, look, we can connect to Trino. We're not going to provide that. Um, but if that is a need that you have, this is this is our recommended solution for you. Um, and when we do the implementation for Trino, then, you know, we also get things like, you know, Starburst comes along with that. So if they want enterprise support for that, they can get that, um, um, you know, from, from Starburst. We thought also that we might get Athena for free, um, but that's not the case. So I don't know, Roman may want to talk about that a little bit, but that JWC driver is completely different. <laughs> um, <laughs> for obvious yes. reasons that deal with their authentication and things like that. Um, so that's kind of our story about like how we we came into Trino. And so we see we see this in a lot of uh, large uh, enterprise organizations where they need to be able to either span clouds or um, a recent one that we saw was they're two years into a migration and mm -hmm. um, half the data is now in the cloud. 34 petabytes of it is still on-prem and uh, they can't get it to the cloud fast enough, but they've already moved loading the new data to the cloud, right? So now I need to be able to cross-join my on-prem uh, database with my cloud database. And so, you know, Trino is an obvious solution for that. So that's that's why we ended up uh, doing the Trino integration. That's awesome. So there were actually users and customers that were already using and Trino that approached you as well, or was it more like you were driving up? Kind of both. Um, so we have a generic JWC driver support within our platform. So we did see some users that were already uh, attempting to start Trino um, and, and use it on their own. Um, oh, yeah. so, That's cool. But in order to get like the best, in order to be able to utilize all of our functionality and things like that, um, we create a custom connector, you know, so we have like best in class support for that. Awesome. So there was so, some, some, some customer demand leading up to that and then based on customer conversations. Yeah. That's cool. So Roman, um, Matthew was saying that the application is written in Java and just like deployed, but like, what do you, what, do, what, what does that mean? Like, where is it deployed? Do people run it in their own network or, or as a server or on the individual workstations or both, or like how, how does Coginity as an application work? Yeah, this, this is a good question. So our application has several what we call additions. So we have a Pro, Cogenity Pro, which is a desktop version of our application. We have a Cogenity Team, which is a server-based version of application. And finally, Cogenity Enterprise, which is like our high-end offering uh, dedicated for enterprises. And the interesting thing is that we use, like it's written all using the same technology, basically same code base. But we architectured in the way that from the same code base, we could produce such different additions. So yeah, the server is written in Java. In case of uh, Cogenity Pro, which is desktop version, uh, you run this on your local machine. And the application itself is basically web-based application written mm -hmm. in, in, in TypeScript. And in case of desktop, we just uh, package it inside the Electron, which is uh, like a, a platform if you use slack you use electron right it's come up from the uh, github originally for their atom editor so it's a nice way of how you could package a web application and uh, behave it as a desktop application so and uh, yeah our premium and enterprise is what customers deploy to their uh, own infrastructure in private clouds etc cool so you can adjust your deployment also like when when Matthew was saying it's like in different data sources in the cloud and not, you can sort of like have it in both places to some degree even. Yeah. And our, our enterprise version deploys on Kubernetes. So we'll deploy on EKS or AKS, or we'll even deploy on-prem. So that'll, you know, it's a full scale out. So we can scale from one user to 10,000 users on the platform. Yeah. So you're also joining the Kubernetes fund. <laughs> fun <laughs> what do you mean manfred we everyone loves kubernetes <laughs> in fact yeah. our, our server version runs like a single node kubernetes um for that. yeah i strongly believe 
that you love every tool until you know it closely. And then you also <laughs> learn to hate it <laughs> because you know all the wrinkles. <laughs> and that definitely applies to Kubernetes for me. <laughs> yeah. Cool. What else do you want to share? Like, how, like as, as a user, what do I see? Or how, how do you want to maybe like do a demo or so? Or like how, how are we going to learn more about Coutinity? It sounds all very interesting, but I want to see something. Yeah. Uh, I could make a demo through our product and uh, run you through the journey of a user and see what we got. All right, cool. Okay, so hopefully you see my screen now. Yeah, so, looks great. Uh, this, this is a community team. This is a second edition, right? The server editions of our application. I'm running just locally, so as you can see, just local host, but basically that's the same if you deploy it on a server. Um, so team version has a little bit more functionality than a desktop version, uh, but uh, that's something to keep in mind. Whatever you see in this demo, not everything would be available if you, for example, download the desktop version of the application. So in a nutshell, like when you just open the Cogenity application, it looks like a SQL ID where you could connect to certain databases, write SQL, execute it, and so on. So here is the first thing I want to show is what we call DB Explorer. This is a thing which you use in order to connect to your database and explore its uh, schema and see what's available. So as Matt said, we support a lot of uh, different platforms. Uh, so our customers could connect to, to many database vendor because usually, uh, especially big enterprises have several, several databases um, deployed. And here I have already one connection to Trina uh, we created. If we just take a look over the connection screen, this is where you manage all the connections. So you give it a name, you specify a JDBC driver for it. And the nice thing about is JDBC driver is that when you first start, we are able to automatically download JDBC driver for you. But if you already have it, you could um, put it manually as well. So if you have some driver already present on your hard drive, for example, um, you put like a general connection things, host port credentials, and you might specify um, a catalog name and the schema name, which will be used as a default when you connect to it. Uh, we also allow to to specify the color of the connection, uh, which identify like the uh, the tab color that you use when you open uh, a tab here. Uh, this is this is interesting feature because like our customers usually prefer to put like a red color for the production databases and green for <laughs> yeah. some development. Yeah, to make sure that you are not executing like drop <laughs> table statements being in production. So yeah, let's... I imagine that's super helpful also when you have multiple data sources into different systems, right? Like you're saying, yes. yeah, Trina yes. versus some other. Yeah. That color was like a highly demand feature from our customers. And they <laughs> were really happy when we added it. So uh, when I expect the ex expand the connection to the string instance, we, we got some uh, information about it. So you could uh, get a, a, just a, a general server information, like what versions are you running, list of catalogs. And then you could uh, drill into every catalog and look into the schemas where uh, you see list of tables for every table you might see list of columns um you could uh, we could also show like a views materialize view etc the list of uh, functions aggregate functions um for table you could quickly uh, like uh, preview it where we by clicking on this button we automatically open a tab generate automatically select statement and do a preview of it displaying here down in the result grid. Our result grid is also pretty powerful. So it gives you um, different features. For, for example, you could uh, like select a column and then uh, get some immediate quick statistics about values in these columns, like what is the average value, count uh, distinct values, uh, max, mean, etc. Um, that, that looks like table statistics to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, and other things you could do is uh, you could switch to the full view. You could also click on, 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 on this panel columns and perform some additional analysis. Like I want to do a quick pivot where I want, I don't know, let's, let's just take another table, uh, 
to demonstrate these order, order lines, for example. And inside it, I want to quickly uh, pivot and see, okay, what's I have a product and what's quantity of sales I have for each product. So it gives like a simple statistics. Uh, you could, of course, do it through the SQL using an ag aggregated function, but sometimes client just like it to do in inside the grid. You could also... Uh, so that, that's a bit like a spreadsheet work. Does that like yeah. build a query and fight back or does it actually use no, no, the no. data that's it's, locally? So every, everything you do inside grid is just do locally on the result available in the grid. It doesn't it doesn't generate any SQL and execute it on Trino. No, it does just, just locally on the result set. Um, same thing like you could just quickly build some charts. Uh, for example, again, I could, for this data, I could build a quick chart to see. So here I have just three products with um, different quant quantities. Um, another thing uh, you could do, you could export that result set to different formats, CSV, TSV, Excel, or just copy it to clipboard. But again, like this is important point, like everything you do with the grid is just applied to what is available in the grid. You do not like uh, execute it and send to the database. So potentially that's a subset of the data, right? Like if there's like a, yeah, it's a really yeah, big data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, this uh, so this is yeah. like designed almost to help bridge the gap between data scientists and people who may not have SQL skills, but still want to glean some simple insights as they can just put it into an Excel spreadsheet and rely on that instead. Yeah. I think that we see yeah. is we'll see like an analyst will build something and save it in the catalog and then some a business user can come in and actually just run that and get the results in the grid and then they can go and treat it like Excel. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I like that form of collaboration. Yeah. Excel is that BI tool that just can't be killed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's uh, some other things from uh, from the database explorer view is that um, clicking on right clicking on the table, we could automatically generate a certain SQL for you. For example, we could generate a DDL script for a table and open it in a new tab. Right, so right click on it, execute it, and here is a DDL for my table. Um, I could uh, select certain columns and say, okay, I now want to select statement to clipboard, and it will generate me select just with the uh, columns that I selected here and so on. So this, this is just an ex accelerators for people who like often use and often query and this provides a nice way of, of getting those queries quickly. And I see you exposing all the catalogs there. So you can yeah. also just fire up and type a query that's a federated query across the catalogs then, right? Yes, 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 exactly. Um, one additional thing is that you could also create a filter uh, for example, I might create a filter and select here like what I want. So, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll show only what you selected in that filter. This is just a view and you can save those uh, filters and apply them when you want. And uh, this filter is pretty granular. So you could do like down to, to any, uh, any entity inside your catalog. And that that kind of setting is persisted, and like so, yeah. basically, different users can sort of like have different views of the overall yeah. data, so they don't so, don't look into I don't know this I don't know some like financial data that well, they're not supposed to look. When you go into an organization that has ten thousand databases, you probably only care about a handful of them, and so yeah. you exclude the other ten thousand from your view. Yeah, but but those filters are personal filters. We don't like have a way of sharing those filters now. But this is an interesting idea that. Uh, if someone created that filter and share it with someone. So so where do those SQL statements that I'm writing here go? Uh, this is just ephemeral. So you open a tab and you just like in the editor, you in the text editor, you open a new tab, right? And you type some something. So as of now, like this, this is just my temporal work. They, they do not say it anywhere, but I could save them. I could save them as a file or I could save them inside my catalog. And we'll get to it in a moment, uh, what's, what's catalog means, and I'll show like all the capabilities. But be before diving into that, one, one quick thing I want to show is we also have a search cap capabilities uh, where you could search uh, across your database object, SQL history, or catalog. 
So for, for example, if I want to search for the my customer's table, so I find it here, I see that, okay, this is located in my Trino personal dev connection under this um, a catalog, and I could even quickly navigate to it, and inside DB Explorer, we will navigate to the table. So again, like for the cases when you have hundreds of uh, of databases and thousands of tables, this search becomes like a really nice way to to find some something quickly. And um, SQL history, same thing. You just uh, type a query, and we will find it in your SQL history. So that goes across all the catalogs and all the connections. So if yes. you have a, like a database, I don't know, some in Trino and some in BigQuery or whatever, then and they yeah. all have customer tables, you'll find all of them and like... Yeah, so in database object filter, we have this uh, drop down where you could specify like, okay, where exactly you want to search. Mm. And also you could, narrow, you could narrow the search to the given type of the objects. So I want to search only across aggregate functions or only across columns, etc. Cool. <clears throat> okay. Um, so next thing is uh, like files. So uh, as I said, like you could uh, also work with, with with the files here, and we support both like local files and files in the object store. So again, uh, given that this is a server application, which which you and you open it with the browser, we still uh, give you a way to work with the local files. So if you open it in, in, in a Chrome, you could actually add your local folder, and we will list the files from from your local folder, and then you could work with it. You could double click on, on the simple file. You could uh, double click on a CSV file, and we will immediately open it and preview it for you. And again, this is the same result where you could do all the operations that I demonstrated just earlier. You could also build a chart. You could export it. You could save it back to the table. For I have a CSV, and I could click Save to Table, and then select a connection and save it to the given database. And this both work, uh, works both for local files and for object stores. So I have uh, the connection to my S3 bucket. I open it. Let's go to a sample data sets. I have a bunch of CSV file. I double click on the CSV file and we will give a preview of it. And you could even modify the query here and filter some results, apply some transformation if you will. Under the hood for this specific use case, when we are uh, reading CSV or Parquet file from the local object store, we use DuckDB under the hood, which is basically executed inside the browser as a VASM. And that's what gives you like a way of SQL uh, like experience when when doing when doing this. I have I have a hacky question. Yeah. <laughs> so so since I can go select star from that CSV file here, could I yes. also go create table as select star from and create a table in my Trino catalog? So basically, I'll use this feature as I like suck the CSV file into my Trino catalog. Uh, not now, no. Right now we don't we don't do it, but we have this on our roadmap to do it and to provide the functionality. Cool. So far, like the only thing you could do here is just query it. But if you want to put it back into the Trino or some other databases, you have this save to table functionality where oh, you could cool. click on it, you could select the connection to, to which platform you wanna uh, save it, and then the result grid. Whatever you have in the result grid will be saved into your database. So oh, you so could you do. Okay. So it's a different way of doing it, but yeah. Transformations. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, that's that, that's the way to to do it as of now. Okay. Um, so before diving in, in into into the catalog, because this is like a very important part of our application, I just want quickly say about AI assistant that we also have an integrated <laughs> AI assistant. Uh, we do support several assistants like OpenAI and, 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 and Tropic, and in the next release, more coming. But nice thing about it is that when you configure a certain assistance, you have this checkbox like share database metadata with AI assistant. By default, it's off. But if you turn it on, what we will do is whenever you talk to your AI assistant, we will feed some metadata into it regarding your current database. So you give it a context. 
Now, like right now, it doesn't work for Trino. It will work in next release, which is coming like next week. So I'll do the demonstration just for Postgre. Uh, but uh, here is example. So I ask AI assistant like segment customers into four groups based on the total orders amount. So as you can see, I didn't mention anything about like what tables do I have, like what's the name of the tables, etc. The only thing I have is that my current my current connection is pointed to this Postgrever and Shop database. And AI assistant was able to provide me a query, which I could copy, I could run it, and it actually gives me some results. So what it did, I mean, it did really simple things, but it still like uh, uh, demonstrates the power of this tool is uh, it, it puts uh, like an tile for, because I asked for four groups, uh, my customers based on the total order value. So this is really nice way of like giving some context and uh, improving uh, your workflow, um, asking AI assistant about uh, your data. Okay, so now catalog. Um, so as Matt uh, mentioned, like catalog is uh, like a central place or repository where you keep all your SQL assets. And uh, this is where we uh, want users to collaborate as well. Uh, so Bain a, a, as a repository, it also provides you with things like automatic version control, and permission system. So whatever I put inside my catalog will be automatically uh, version control. So you don't need a separate like GitHub to manage. You don't need any other things. In terms of permissions, uh, you could uh, share your folders with others. So for example, I could right click on the folders, click share, and then um, share it either with individual users or with the groups. And when I share, I could specify like the role. Do I want it to be just a viewer, which means it's read-only access or editor or co-owner. Um, I could also uh, like view history on certain assets. So in this case, I have three versions. I could also do some comparison a bit, bit between them, what's changed and so on. So all things that you would expect from, from, from the uh, repository which wants to, to keep track of the assets. So so question about those assets, like, I mean, I'm just seeing like there's a bunch of SQL snippets here, but how, like, is there some metadata associated with each SQL query to know in what context it needs to run? Like, like one might be a Trino SQL statement and another one might be a Postgres one and another one might be a BigQuery one. So how do users know from those queries where they're supposed to run or how they run or are they, is it somehow associated? Can they see that or? Yeah, so uh, speaking of the assets itself, like we do not associate any connection information with an asset. So meaning that when you open an asset, right, you actually like then you select manually on where you want to execute it. You could add some additional uh, like metadata, uh, give it a name, give it description or put some additional metadata to the Kajunity script blocks, which, which we talk in a bit, but uh, nothing besides that. We do not uh, associate any connection information. And this is by design because uh, in a lot of cases, like same assets could be used across different databases. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, we don't want to like limit uh, users in terms of like where where they want to 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 run it. Uh, of course, they could manually organize it in in any way because this is like a folder structure hierarchy. So we see so and so certain users organize it hierarchically and put some platform names uh, as a folders to to group them together, etc. So this, oh, this yeah, yeah. that that probably makes sense, right? Like the user, yeah. That's cool. Uh, so one thing uh, like you could see here is all this varied syntax besides besides uh, SQL query. Those are what we call a Kajinity script. And uh, uh, I want just quickly uh, talk about what is it. So Matt mentioned that uh, catalog and this concept of collaboration and reusability is something that we want to uh, like so, because uh, the capabilities of how 
like the problem with sharing SQL is, is a real problem. That example that Matt mentioned with Excel file being as a mechanism to share, this, this is a real example and, and we see it. So when solving that problem, we think like, okay, we don't want to get rid of SQL because SQL is a universal language. Uh, it's basically lingua franca. You need to speak it and we don't want to get rid of it. But is there any way how we could improve SQL just a little bit so we could add a reusability of it, if you could add ability to package it into the libraries and then distribute those libraries and basically make it possible for people or departments in the big organization share with those assets. And we created a progenity script. This is a domain-specific language build up on top of SQL. Whatever you write here inside our application is basically the progenity script. Even if now I type just a SQL, under the hood, it's Cogenity script. So imagine the scenario where I have this query and I want to add some additional filter like on the domain. So I want to just get all the customers which has a uh, Gmail domain in, 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 in it. Execute it. I'll get my customers. And now I want to share this uh, SQL with someone for, for reuse. I could, of course, save it as is in my catalog and then say some other coworker, look, if you want that query, you, you, you could take a look over it. But that doesn't solve the problem because what if he wants to build something on top of that query, right? He either needs to copy past that query into, into his query or turn it into the, I don't know, storage procedures, etc. With Cogenity script, you could do something different. So you could define a block give it a name, and between begin and end, put your query. Now, I could query that block just as I would query table of you. I run it, I get same result. So, but this, this is a bit limited. Like I hard-coded my value here. What if I want to, to let my colleague to customize it and pass a different domain into it. So I could do it as an argument. I could add an argument. And instead of hard-coded value here, I could just use my argument. I run it. And I get my Yahoo customers. We could go even further and let users specify a list of domains. So now I have a list uh, and I use a loop to traverse over this uh, list. Um, and I run it. And now I get both Gmail and Yahoo customers. Now, if you look at this output tab, uh, this is a log of execution. So you could see we executed this uh, st statement, but for every Cogenity script uh, statement, you have this show generated button where you could see like what was the final SQL query that we actually executed against Trino in this case. So you see that uh, reference to the block was basically substituted with the common table expression where we put content of the block inside it and that loop that I have over my domain was translated into this statement. So at compile time, we basically executed that loop and put it into the final SQL. So now I got a nice small block, which is reusable, which, which I could save now in my catalog and then ask my colleague, whenever you want to use the result of that query, you just query my block and pass arguments, if you will. So, and this is like a, a, a big concept uh, which we built on top of it and uh, allows you users for reuse. That's One, very cool. So you can, so so it's a bit of a templating language basically that generates it on the hood, but can you use those then again, like they, can I call them in a different script? Like can someone else call this customer in, in their script once you share it or something? Uh, 
in in in, in different scripts like in in SQL or in some other scripts outside the, the of well inside Coginity, but as a different user. Like you define it and then Cole runs it. Like Cole just yeah. writes the second part so, and he knows that the first part yeah. exists somewhere. So else. what I could do, yeah. So what I could do is I could save this script inside the catalog. So let's create a new folder. I say type the customers. Right, or not, let's say, I don't know, some repo. Okay. And now I save this catalog inside my Trino repo. And now I, I could share this folder with some other guy on my team. Mm -hmm. And then uh, some other guy in my team, in order to use it, could import that okay. that that package. So Trino community call. I have this uh, wrapper right like that. And then sorry, this is slash. And then I could call it like that. So everything you have in the folder is basically the part of the package. Which is determined by the name of the folder. So in my case, report is a package. And in order to use blocks from that package, you need to import package first. So in, in my case, I import into a community slash report, which is this package where I just save my uh, block. And now I could uh, call any blocks from the package using package name dot block name notations. And we do support even things like public or pri private block. So whatever is from this capital letter is a public block. If it's from lowercase letter, it's a private block, meaning you can't access it outside of your package. So this is like advanced techniques for encapsulation of certain logic inside blocks if you do not want to expose it outside of the package. That's no, cool. It's... And then like that also affects, I guess, the search that you had before, like where you were searching across, the, the discoverability of those thingies goes into that search, right? Um, I mean, uh, searches works across all all, all, all this. It does, does, yeah. doesn't mean it's private or, or, or public, but in future, yeah, we want to limit also to do not expose the private blocks for you. But you can find out like they exist basically. So that's great. Yeah. 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 So one one additional things we have is that you could also have an anonymous blocks basically like that i just i don't have any names in it and basically this is what happens by default if you just type a query like this under the hood it's just an anonymous block which you don't see right but every block could also have a metadata in it so you could assign some additional information to the metadata, you could add some documentation to it saying that, okay, this uh, query returns a list of Gmail, Gmail and Yahoo customers, okay? And you could also add some other things like publication where you could, basically this is a way to export the result of the blog into some uh, external system. Whenever it's a file system, your local file system, or block store, or it's a database, and any database we we support, so I could export it into the, uh, for example, CSV. I could give it a pass. Uh, let's say connection. I'm gonna export it into the S3 and uh, give it a pass. And once you have it, if you execute that publication, we will get the result and publish it into whatever config it has been put by the user in the publication. So you can see this amount of rows has been published. And if I open now my blob store, I'm going to this. Uh, let's see. I have this Yahoo customers CSV file. And so I imagine with that scheduling tab at the top that we haven't talked about yet, that uh, 
auto scheduling and publishing files seems like a pretty handy combination of yes. synergy that could be super exactly. useful. Exactly. So whenever you have a query which you want, the result of which you want to publish somewhere, you could just wrap it into the block, set a publication config, and then schedule that asset inside the catalog, right? You could click on schedule and put it to run like on a daily basis at, 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 at a given time. And that could be a CSV, a parquet file, it could be a table, it could be a view. Um, and we have a scheduler. The thing that we just released last month is we also have an execution API. So if you have an orchestration tool, you can call the API and have any of these triggered downstream as well. Yeah. And last thing is about publications that this concept, a publication, could be used to create pipelines that uh, you would create with the tools like dbt, for example. So in dbt, you define your models as, a, as the files, right? And then run, run them, and you reference other models through the ref macro. With Cogenity Script, you could do the same, where you define your models as the blocks, and then reference those blocks through as a just block in invocation. And then for things you want to uh, put as a model, you define it as a publication. So in this example, for example, I have uh, my sources defined, like I have a bunch of source uh, sources, and then I have uh, two tables uh, that I want to produce for the reporting capabilities. One called orders, another called customers. For orders, I want to publish it as a table with name orders. And then I have a simple query which does some trans trans transformations and outputs the result. And as you can see, I reference my source through the uh, by importing source package and then references those blocks. And for customers, I do the same and perform some uh, RFM analysis and and um, publish it as a table. And then finally, I have my scheduled nightly script where I just publish everything I have in my Mart package. And then I could put it on a schedule to be executed on, on a daily basis. And what would happen is that we will execute all the publication within Mart package. We will determine all the dependency between assets and execute them in a correct order. So this allows our customers to basically build a transformation pipeline in a similar way if they would build it with dbt. Um, one additional and you don't thing. need to learn Python. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes, and you don't need to, to learn Python. And another thing is that it's highly interactive. So, for example, I have this block. If I want to quickly debug it, I just select this query. Sorry, just select this query, hit a five. I will execute it and see the result immediately here. Mm. And if something goes wrong, like I, I, I could debug it quickly here. So there's no like compile, run, things, like everything happens interactively inside this tool. In addition to that, you could also write tests. So test is just a query which should return some data if test fails. So in this case, I just have a quick test to show that my order ID should be unique. I shouldn't have any nulls in these columns. And uh, I could execute this test here locally again by pressing a five and I run the test. Or within my scheduler, I could run those tests programmatically by saying test.run, execute all the tests in my source, and then execute all my tests in the mark. And then during the scheduling operation, when we run it, we will report back through the notification panel whenever uh, scheduled items executed successfully or it is failed. For example, in this run, it fails. Hmm. I got some test files. I could click on the open execution log file. We will navigate to that file and we will output you the log that was executed in that time. So I see that this test failed. I could double click on the test. It will navigate me to the test. Now I can run it here and see what's happened actually. So this is like a really uh, nice way of uh, like um, making sure that your data is valid and then troubleshooting this data if something went wrong. 
It's cool. It's like a it's it's like a full on IDE for it, basically. Yes. <laughs> full developing environment in a way. Yes. Yes. You don't need any other tool basically to build um, any transformation pipe pipeline with data quality tests. Just uh, our application and nice thing about it is again it's highly interactive. You, there is no like compile run step. You just like hit run and 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 we do the rest. And we also try to do a good job on the error reporting. So if you reference some blocks and you have some errors, we would try to give you a really nice error message with the navigation to where exactly error happens. And uh, this also improves the user experience and troubleshooting. So, so Matthew, like, how many people are using this? Like, at, at like on on average, at a customer, like, is there like ten, a um, hundred, or like, what's the range? Like, or is it large, just one or two? Yeah, our largest customer is uh, four thousand users right now uh, at a single site. So that's pretty have, busy, uh, I think. <laughs> we have an ongoing sales pursuit where um, it's it's actually the number. Um, we thought it was around 4,000 and then it turned out that we missed a zero. So they said they have 40,000 users. Oh, um, <laughs> like, can we, can we scale up to that, um, incrementally? So, um, yeah, so we, we go, we have a lot of, you know, single user shops, you know, a long tail of kind of like 10 to 20 users. And then we have some large, you know, quite a number of large enterprise customers, um, That's so probably around a hundred users. So it really scales to that sort of level and the folder structure and the sharing and everything seems to work okay. So that's that's really good to know. Yeah. The idea is the catalog become like a single source of trust where everything is managed and you control the permission uh, in order to like who can access it, right? As a department and oh, uh, several teams. And then like do all the your logic and transformation pipeline inside Cogenity with ability to orchestrate them externally. We have an API integration, so you could call and orchestrate it from Duxter or from Airflow or from other tools, as well as then consume data from your BI tool. Right. So that's the other thing is like either from like a, like Power BI or from a notebook tool, you can actually call our API and return data into those. So we'll return data as a JSON or a CSV, or we have AeroStream coming out next month yeah. uh, in terms of return data. Very cool. So with all these queries, you're probably keeping Adreno clusters pretty, pretty busy. <laughs> Keep them hot. <laughs> <laughs> Sweating. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Roman. That was an amazing demo. There's a lot of features in there to discover for users. I, I can tell it's crazy. And it's it's interesting approach to have a, a custom DLL wrapped around um, SQL. It's really cool. Yep. That's the best the. 56% of the Cogendi platform. So there's a few other things in there, but I think oh, that's yeah. for people to get excited about. Yeah. yeah. We have so, a lot of features. Yeah. What, whatever I, I have showed, it's not all of them, but this is like a biggest. Our editor thing. has a multi cursor support and folding, mm -hmm. and all the things that you'd expect in a nice ID as well. well. After complete and all this stuff that yeah. you would usually expect from the ID tool. So people can go to the Cogenity website that they can find where? Oh, it's cogenity.co. Cogenity.co. Uh, you can download the, yeah, you can download the personal version and run it on your, on your laptop. And test it out. That's really cool. And of course, you can test it with Trino. Of course, you should yeah, be testing it with Trino, nothing else, right? Like, That's right. Connect to your Trino, Trino platform today. Awesome. Cool. Um, and of course, uh, you're both also on the Trino Slack. So if people uh, have any questions, they can find you there as well, right? Let us know. Awesome. Cool. Cool. Anything else we want to chat about in terms of Cognity and this crazy tool? It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, I always like seeing new editors. You know, it's something in the Trino community where we, we have a few that support Trino in a big way. But like this was kind of a unique and interesting take that I think makes collaboration and automation even just smooth and simple um and doesn't require you know being a sql mastermind but has tons of features for the people that are the sql masterminds to enable their teammates so uh that was a really awesome talk and an awesome demo and i'm a fan so 
We appreciate you guys having us on. It was worth it just for Cole's facial expressions throughout the demo. Yeah, every <laughs> once in a while, you like, <laughs> you're like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> He's like, there's this other cool button. What does that do? <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. Um, let's jump over for a second to uh, rounding out our episode. As uh, we just mentioned um, earlier, you can find Coginity and Roman and Matthew on Trino Slack. And of course, you can also find lots of other things there. Specifically, you can probably soon find the links to the uh, three episodes we recorded of the Trino SQL training that me, Martin, Dane, and David are building up. Um, and the next episode is in two weeks. So make sure you register for that. And then, of course, the Big Bang will be Trino Summit after in less than a month as we are already shaking in our boots, getting that ready. <laughs> um, and Cole is going to get the announcement and everything live together with Anna and Monica and Mon and Mandy. So should be really cool. We hope to see Matthew and Roman there in the audience as well for Trino Summit. And don't forget to send us your SQL routines for the competition. I think that was everything, Manfred. I think, I think you, you hit everything on the head. I hit everything on the head. And with that, try community to understand your data. And don't forget, you need to connect it to Trino. And thank you all for watching. And uh, we'll see you at the training, at the summit, and in next Trino Community Broadcast episode. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Music for the show is from the Mega Man 6 gameplay album by Shishtaf Swabikowski. Don't forget to give us a star on the Trino repository at github.com forward slash TrinoDB forward slash Trino. And for more information on future shows and to find show notes, check out trino.io forward slash broadcast.